Greetings, O favored one, he said. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel said to her. Because you have found favor with God, look and see, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this happen since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Look and see, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, Mary said. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My interest in this text uh, was fanned by the readings. You know, we do all those Advent readings, right? The reason I wanted to focus on this text is for one very specific grammatical note. Nothing will be impossible for God. It's in the future tense. Anybody else notice that? Anybody else notice that? It's in the future tense? Not present? Not... That bugged me. I wanted, I wanted, that bugged me so much as an idea. That bugged me so much as a concept. It bugged me with the theology, the biblical. It's not supposed to be there, but it is there. And I think it's very important for us. So anyway, I wanted, I, so that's where this comes from. And I, when I... I have, and you should pray for me about this, but I really seek to be available to the Holy Spirit. And if Holy Spirit, like, if I have a, if a, if a text gets loud enough like this, I've got to do something. I've got to respond somehow. But let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at this narrative right here. What, is, what, kind, of, what kind of literature is this? Anybody, any guesses? Well, how would you descri- what would you describe this as if you were to describe this as a piece of literature? And actually, Luke, Luke, Luke has a description for it himself. Do you know what Luke calls this? You know what Luke calls this? He calls this what you do. You do, Natalie. You know what Luke calls this? He calls this reporting. Luke begins his book by saying, I did a lot of research. I did a lot of research, and I went and I interviewed people who were there. I went and talked to everybody I could, and I put down an account of the things that actually happened. The way- you know what this is? This is a newsflash. This is news. Isn't that funny? Like, this is not... That's the way it's being reported. The reason I ask what kind of literature is this is we might be asked, we, remember, who, who's in this story? We've got angels talking to little virgins who are going to have babies. All right, okay, wait a second, wait a second. Isn't that a fairy story? But you notice it doesn't, it doesn't report that way. In fact, let's take a look. What's the first words? What's the very first phrase? In the sixth month. What, what's, the, what's, 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 what's important about that kind of in the sixth month. What's important about that kind of reference in the middle of a story like this? What's the writer saying? This is news, and I've got a time, and I've got a place. Where does he say it happened? He gives you a location, doesn't he? He mentions the town. Nazareth! 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 The bustling metropolis of... No, no, no. No, the dump of Nazareth. Nazareth is a dump. The poor people place. Poor, poor people live. But it's all. So, how do you, 
how do you know? How do you know if I begin a fairy story? How do you know I'm beginning a fairy tale? What will I say? What will be the first words out of my mouth? Once upon a time, not in the sixth month, in a town. What is that kind of data? That's reporting. That's reporting. That's reporting. Why do I start here? This is not mythic. Or this is not mythic storytelling. And, every, and I, know, I know many of you already know that, but you have to hear it again. Because I'm serious, when angels and little girls are talking to each other, it's just, that's the stuff of fairy tales. Until we come to the Bible. And the reason I make this point so strongly is because you and I, as modern people, as modern readers, as modern digest, we digest news abundantly, we don't, some, we hear something like this and we think, oh, I don't know what that is. What is that? Is that a fair, what is that? The Bible, in fact, you've heard me define it like this. It's called fabulous or, or fantastic nonfiction. Fantastical nonfiction. Like, it gets even better than that. It's not just a news story. It's not just a news story. What do you know? Because it's based on an interview, what do you happen to know about this, this young teen? What do you know about her emotional state? She's scared! She's scared! What else do you know? She's confused! I don't, I don't, I was wondering what this thing could be! She said, how could this happen since I'm just a little girl? She knows she's powerless. She knows she can't do any. She knows she's not a part of the world of God and angels. Right? And all this, there's this weird data coming back. Data on the back of this. There's all this data in there about Mary, about how she was feeling. Now that goes back. This is a report. This is a result of an interview. That's why you have insights like that. That's why you have that insight that she heard. You can almost, you can almost hear that. So the angel says to me, you know, uh, you know, greetings, O highly favored one. The Lord be with you. And I kind of frosted at that point, and I was so scared. I said, I didn't even know what he was talking about. I was frightened. And then he said, don't be afraid. And I just, oh, now, why is that important to me? Why? I want you to trust God's word. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear fresh that it contains details that are not a part of ancient accountings. Ancient stories never cared about little girls and their feelings. Never. Because little girls don't count in the world. Because little girls don't make big decisions. Little girls aren't great, powerful people. This little girl is. Mm, okay, so, so, okay, so, so, so narratively and literarily, I, I just want to introduce that first so that we can think about this clearly. Because there's an alternate interpretation here. You know what it is? Oh, your, your Christianity? It's just like the Dionysian cults. Don't you know? Don't you know all those ancient people believed in miracle births? Don't you know those miracle births? Those are fables, and like Leda and the swan, and, the, and all, and, you know, don't you know? And by the way, miracle births were a dime a dozen in the ancient world. Everybody had a miracle birth story. It was is what you had if you were anybody. Pharaohs had them, kings had them, emperors would make them up because you had to have a story that made you a special person. There was a comet 
over me while I was being born. Whether it was or not, it doesn't matter. You make the claim, right? Because it's a claim to be divine. It's a claim to be powerful. And the reason I bring this up is this is not one of those narratives at all. And literarily, it's beautiful and shines. And I'm going to mention one word in the text that I want you to pay attention to because it's my favorite word in the text, and that's the word overshadow. I just want you to hear that word overshadow because it's so rare in Greek. It's so rare in the Bible. It happens every single time that the transfiguration is described. When it says that the shining cloud hovered over the mountain, overshadowed. It's the same Greek word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament used for the God, presence of God on Mount Sinai. Overshadowed. And you know what the picture is? I'm sorry. I'm going to use you, Joyce, but... There's this common picture in the Bible, I don't know why, it's very, very humble of God, of God being a big chicken and like putting us under his wings. Overshadowed. Sorry, Joyce. I showered, so put you under my pit like that. I, I, I get excited about this because it, 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 it promises uh, so much to us, even in the language. And we're, we're going to unpack some of that language as we go along. All right, so let's begin now. Let's begin. Let's begin the beginning. And I, I, nothing will be impossible for God. It's almost like the angel came out and said, reality isn't what it used to be. And I really the sense that that, that logical step, that, that logical motion at that point, the angel's there in this announcement, nothing will be impossible for God. By the way, that's never been said in the Bible before this. Every once in a while, one of the, the prophets or the, po- or the poems, the Psalms, will talk about God being able to do anything, but it, doesn't, it never uses that word impossible. It doesn't use that catchphrase of the possible versus the impossible. It doesn't use that language. And so, but it does make God all-powerful. It never hesitates from that claim. But just, I want to stop for a minute and just hover over this first thought. That the, that the angel knows Mary needs to understand. If God is on the scene, everything changes. If God is the, God is the, God is the, is, is the, uh, he's the, he's the uh, factor that can't be accounted for. He's the, if, if God's in the mix, then anything's possible. Let me, let, me, let me think of it this way. Where does our God live? Where does he live? Where does he truly live in his being? In this moment. I, I think we're at one of the places he lives. I know he lives there. He lives right between cause and effect. We were told that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I'm going to drop this, the cause, and that's the effect. This is on the my God preserved gravity and all of the different physics that went into every dimension of that falling. Now, what's my point here? The God who lives in cause, he's the one that can separate cause and effect. He can do anything. I mean, it, it's, one of those, it's one of those rational moments, and this is where, by the way, where we are rationally completely coherent as believers. We are rationally completely coherent because if we believe there's a God, all these other things are just easy. <laughs> I had a friend of mine one time, wonderful friend of mine, one of my, it was the woman who was the, the madam in the brothel that I grew up in. I remember her saying, 
I remember saying that, um, you know, I, I don't get why, uh, you know, this idea that, that God can, uh, I don't believe that God, I don't believe in the resurrection. I, I just have a hard time believing anybody can raise from the, rise from the dead. And that seems like a, a, a fanciful thing. And I said to her, my dear, my dear aunt, Elaine, I said, no, you, that's not true. She said, what do you mean? I don't believe in the resurrection. And then I said, no, that's not true. You, you have a hard time believing there's a God in the world. Remember, if there's a God in the world, resurrection's easy. See, uh, every, those, those other things, the phys, there are physical boundaries to a God. A God by self-defining to be a God. God self-defining by God means he can do anything. And I want you to roll this delicious thing in your heart all the time. Because it's the way Jesus talks to his Father, even in the most critical moment, where he says, I know with you all things are possible, but not as I will, but as you will. When does he say that? In prayer, in Gethsemane. See, this is the cachet that Christ lives in. And it's the place you and I are supposed to live, in our hearts, in our hopes. We live. So what is prayer? What is, it's Prayer is you addressing the God who lives between cause and effect. That's why miracles happen. <laughs> he lives there. He ordains when cause, this cause makes this effect. Not you or me. I want to live in the presence and the implication of such a being. For the implications are just mind-blowing. Look, that's why you get into these parts of the Bible that says, guess what, Gina? More than you could ask or imagine. That's always the answer. That's always his love. That's always what he brings. He can't help it. <laughs> He's the God who changes. He is the God who calls things that are not as though they were. He's the God who takes, he, and you know, it's funny, he breaks every fundamental law of physics, which says matter is neither created nor destroyed. What does God do? New life. Where there's none. Ah, reality isn't what it used to be. And it should never be for us. This is the point at which we saw David, we were in, we were in Bible study this week, we saw David praying that his son wouldn't be killed by God's judgment. And the prophet told David, God's going to take your son. And David fasted and prayed, just in case God might change his mind. And I, It's funny, David's so alive with the possibility that God can do all things. That's the same place Jesus is. It's this fundamental, almost stubborn commitment. God said he's going to, God said he's going to judge me for my son. But you know what? He can do anything. I'm just going to wait. I, I love that. Don't you love that? I love that. I love that there's no... I love that. <laughs> I, uh, praise him. What is prayer? Prayer is God beckoning you into that mysterious place between cause and effect to speak to him about what he does there. What he does there with people who are sick, with people who need to come to Christ. What he does. Oh, praise him! <clears throat> All right. So reality isn't what it used to be. So, but now I want to turn to that impossible. But I also let's just turn, let's turn to this impossible. I'm going to get to what I think the real impossibility is here right now. I, the next thing I wanted, to, as I was kind of, this, as I was, this text was kind of working its way in my heart, was to look at Mary. Let's take a look at Mary. Let's take a look at Mary. How does the pro, how does the how does Gabriel address her? Kai, hey, hi there, favored one. Uh, this, this, this in, in, if we were going to like 
If you really wanted to really wordsmith this, it would be be graced one. It's the word for grace and favor. And it's the one of grace, the one be graced. We don't use the B word like the B, the B uh, for past tense anymore. If it's old, old fashioned. But he has been be graced. She has be graced. Oh, be graced one. The Lord is with you. Oh, favored one. Uh, a great, now, 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 I want to stop, park right over this greeting. Because something about it really charmed my heart. Because it's, it's her response. Lord is with you. That's a big compliment to be called a favored one, right? And that's the only time we really hear how she feels. What does she say? I did, what does she say? What does she say? What exactly does she say? She was greatly troubled at what he said and tried to discern. You know what this was? This is totally one of these moments. Are you talking to me? You can tell she's getting the moment like, is there somebody behind me? Is there somebody else in the room? Wait. Well, this is a time-honored principle agreed upon by all men of sound mind. Teenage girls are the most noble, grace-filled, holy people in the world. Now, if anybody had any teen girls, I would get a real crack out, get a real, get a real response out of that. I know enough about teen girls, and that's not true. Did you, did you ever watch that? Uh, there was popular for a while these teen pregnancy shows that were on. They were on MTV. Did all these teen pregnancy shows, and sometimes I wondered if they were they were like um, they were kind of like documentaries, you know, following these girls around. And, and I guess it was a hot topic at the time, and and, I, and it could, could draw you in because they're always suffering. By the way. <laughs> And by the way, they're always scared. Every single show you watch, they're just like Mary. They're always scared. They're always don't know what to do. They're confused about life. And they feel deeply powerless all the time. That's one thing that's very consistent. All those shows, it's like that. And then Mary gets greeted. Oh, highly favorite. All right, maybe that's not a common agreed thing amongst men. I could see Clay looking at me like, you'll be crazy. I don't think that about teen girls. And yet, maybe angels all think that. And they're all thinking that, and that's why they, no, it's nothing to do with that. There's been an attempt historically, and, and, and I think it's a bankrupt one, to say, oh, we need to investigate why Mary is so favored. She must have been born without sin herself. Perhaps she has some special grace operative in her. Perhaps she has been exalted by God into a position where she can bear Christ. She is the uh, co-redemptrix in some, in, in some, uh, some traditions of, of the church. <sighs> but don't you see that's the wrong way to go with it? Why is Mary upset? at being complimented. Why does she recoil? Why is she greatly troubled by being complimented? You can go on YouTube right now, right now, and you can find a hundred stories of people who said they met angels and they've met God and they're here to tell you about what you need to do because of it. I, I, it, it makes you want to throw up. They're all over the place. They're all over the internet. People claiming they're liars. I believe they're liars. <sighs> this girl was greatly troubled. By the way, anybody who actually needs God is always greatly troubled, so it's always a good sign. 
Why is she troubled by being, being, being told she's such a highly favored woman? Little girl. She's probably 14, by the way. <sighs> because she knows she's not. And you see, if you try to exalt Mary and say Mary was some special case with a special grace, then you miss the whole point. Mary was a sinner saved by grace. And that's the wonder. That's the wonder. That's what makes her so radiant and attractive. It's because she doesn't, she, she can't go, I am begraced in love and found favor. What are you talking about? I know what I do. I know how I talk to my parents. I know who I am. She is not having it. She is, this is, she is alarmed by this reference. Why? Because I think I see, we see something we see in everybody who really knows God. True grace and humility about who they are. True knowledge. I'm a ruin. This is why Peter says, get away from me, Jesus. Get away, get away. I'm a sinful man. This is Mary's recoil at grace. But don't you see that Mary's meant to be an archetype. She's meant to be an invitation. She's meant to be like this glowing banner that says, don't you know with God, it's possible for you to be reborn and inhabited, overshadowed by his love, transformed into somebody new with a new living soul in you. Yeah, Christ can be born in you and me. Oh my, Mary becomes the fountain of grace in a sense, right? Because grace comes out of her in Jesus in a way that we, is an invitation to us and hope for us. Yeah, this teenage girl is, is a hope for old sinners like me. Praise God. For she shines with grace. Why do you think we've been talking about her for all these many years? You know, it's, you know Greta, Greta Turnberg uh, just turned 20. I thought she was younger than that, didn't you? I, th I, thought, I thought she was still like a preteen almost. She thinks she looks very young. And Greta made a big splash. And Greta will be remembered for at least another five years. Maybe ten. Dude, we're still talking about a little Palestinian teenager from 2,000 years ago. And I'm preaching about her to tell you that she shows you the love of Jesus. <laughs> Highly favored indeed. She is now not only the delivery mechanism, but the invitation to all of us that Christ can be born in us and that that miracle is available and possible. You see, someone starts to frizzle out of here. Hopes for us. What do you hope for for yourself? Seriously, what do you really hope for? What's possible? Oh, in his, Jesus loves sinners. And this is what Mary has to go to understand. It's funny, you know, how little she understood. We know later she came to get Jesus because she thought he was out of his mind. She didn't get the gospel in some deep way, but what she did get some things, didn't she? Because when you read that song of hers, he has brought down rulers. He sends the rich away. And, oh, she gets it. She gets it big time. But that brings us to our next point. So reality isn't what it used to be. There's a God on the scene now God, all things are possible. You need to stop limiting, boxing, thinking. You are constantly, you're constantly, I say to all of you in this room, your God is too small. I know it because you're a human. <laughs> all right, okay, good. We need to hear that. God, all things are possible. Well, then what does Mary invite us into? That means, what does that possibility open up? Grace. 
God's love for sinners is now available. That's the, view, the big new possibility. Sinners, the dead can rise. Oh my, see, everything's changing now. Huh. That's why I'm reading this last point. Why the future tense? Why does Gabriel use the future tense? Um, in 1970, there was a book that came out called Future Shock. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's way before y'all's time. I remember it. And what, the, what, what Alvin Toffler was maintaining in Future Shock was that change is happening so fast, humanity is going to go through a shock. You know, like a sense of, whoa! I don't know. Has it happened? I think it kind of has. I don't know. I don't know. Caleb seems like he's doing okay. I mean, it's like, if they make it seem like the younger generation is just going to go crazy and not be able to make it. You know, it's 1970, that was 50 years ago, and we seem to have gotten over some of the shock. Why is it in the future tense? Part of what that's happening there is God is actually describing, the angels are aware, that God has a progression. God isn't, God isn't dealing with you, this, God is not dealing with you, each one of you, the same way today as he did five years ago. He, 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 he moves. He moves with us. He moves. He moves forward with us. He moves, and he moves across history with whole peoples. did this with the people of Israel. And he told them how powerful he was, but he never said, I do the impossible. He never said that. Because I think a part of what the angel is witness to is there is a growth. You see, God is now doing more miracles. You see, miracles now are happening in Peter's hands and James's hands and, and other, you know, things are exploding. The, now the possible and the impossible I can't tell which is which anymore. That's the kingdom that God's bringing. You see, the New Testament is a New Testament, right? It is a new, larger, exploding view of grace and the availability of grace and the possibility of grace and all the things it can do. And God's going to save people like he's never saved before. And people never had hope. And now, the reason I say that the future tense is so telling is it shows us that God will not always do the impossible. He doesn't always. In, in Mark 6, these words are written. And Jesus could not do miracles among them because of their unbelief. What? I thought he could do impossible. What? what do you mean he could not? You know what he goes on to say? It's one of the few times it says this in the Bible. It says it a few times. And that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Like, like he, they were so bad, he was a little bit shocked. Like, wow, you guys really don't have a clue. Wow. Thank you, thank you. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to throw it at you. The, uh, this is interesting to me because the idea that God will be, do, will do things, impossible things, and the fact that he, it implies that he doesn't always. And in that moment, although Christ, for Christ all things were possible, he would not. It's not really that he could not. But he could not because he would be violating himself. He'd be violating his own rules. For where does our Savior decide? And where does our God decide? He will reveal. He will reveal himself and his love and his grace. Where does he decide he'll do that? Where does he decide he will do that beautiful thing? Well, he, he doesn't, um, I was making a point there. I forgot. 
my point. Let me, let me think what I was trying to say there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I've lost my, lost my train of thought again. Oh, I know, I know where I want to go with this. All I'm trying to say with this last point is this, is that when it says Jesus could not do miracles, it's because he would not, because of unbelief. And I guess what I realized when I was reading this text is that I just don't want our church to be a place where Jesus could not or would not do his miracles. Like, I can think of, like, like, like isn't that's possible? The, the, the angel knows it's possible, that there's a, there's a time when God does miracles and a time when he doesn't. The angel knows that. He's telling Mary that. Mary's a part of a sweeping arc of history where God is going to reveal his impossible powers in, in re- real time with resurrection from the dead and new souls brought to life. Yeah. But man, there'll be some places where he won't do that because of their own belief. He will not. And that made me think, that just made me want to be like Mary. Because I think Mary's an answer to that, too. Because what do we notice about Mary? She's sold out. Does Mary understand what she's getting into? Not at all. What does she say? Let it be to me. I surrender. So many of you want God to show up in big time. You want to do big things. I know you do. I'm there too. We want God to do it. I mean, show up and reveal yourself with some real big clarity. But all the while, what we've really been doing is, and then, what we've really been saying is, and then I'll give you the praise you're due. Then I'll be sold out. If you show up, I'll be sold out. If you come and enter my life, then I'll, if you show me what it is you want me, then I'll do it. But that's not Mary's attitude at all, is it? Her attitude is complete surrender to God before she even understands what the heck she's getting into. That is sold out faith that God, that's the stage, that's the kind of setting, that's the table God, that's the table spread that God likes to put out when he's going to do an impossible thing before breakfast. (laughs) Gee, our father is extremely particular, it seems, on why and how he draws out the big guns, does wonders, healings, and rescues, and and people convert. You know what he says? All right, I want you to set the table for me. If you want to see the impossible, we need to be a sold-out people, a surrendered people, a people whose only hope is grace, when God greets you or me with, oh, there's one of my big graced ones. One of those, there's one of my lovely daughters I'm in love with. There's one of my sons. Now, this is just all built up for this last verse I was reading it today. I wasn't even a part of the message originally. Because you know what it says in Matthew 19, verse 20? You know what it says in Matthew 19, verse 20? If you, have the, if you have faith the grain the size of a grain of mustard, and you say to this mountain, go hop into the sea, it'll do it. For nothing will be impossible for you. Doesn't say God. Doesn't say God. Let me tell you, that, 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 that verse 
can only follow what Gabriel said. Like Gabriel had to say what he said first. Nothing will be impossible for God now, right? And what is the next sequitur for those who are in him, those who are loved by him, those embraced, those overshadowed by his wings? What is it? If you have a baby face, just a baby, baby, a little face like a teenage girl might have. Nothing will be impossible for you. Pure transference of grace. Pure transference of Christ's mantle of love onto you and me. I, 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 don't, I, I don't even know what to say to this. We get to this point and I'm like, it just means that, that God is so much greater and, and we, have, we have tasted so little. We have tasted so little, and we have seen so little in ourselves of this great grandeur. You know what I'm praying? I'm praying that if it hasn't been a time for the impossible, because maybe our hearts have been hard, or maybe we haven't been surrendered, maybe he hasn't. I'm, I'm, I'm asking. I'm asking him to make this time and this place, you know, the time where he does that. Where the angels say to us, we say to each other, you know, we now, nothing will be impossible for God here. God is with us. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, you invite us into so much hope. I, I, sometimes I don't think it's fair. I, you invite us into such a big and huge and amazing hope. And it was funny. I was, I was praying to you earlier, and I, said, and I said, Father, well, if this is true, could I ask the universe to skip like a lamb and, and, uh, and, and blink? And you do it. And then I thought to myself, well, actually, that's going to happen in the second coming. <laughs> well, I guess if I've asked for it, it is going to happen. I mean, you're greater than I might have imagined. It really gets down to it. We, our unbelief is such a stain on us. And, and, and we, uh, and, and we uh, yeah, Father, we, we really need you to, to show us and reveal to us what you, what you showed Mary. You really showed Mary not only her heart, but what your grace meant. And, and, and she was so available, and, and you showed her surrender. That was your work. That was you and her. And we praise you, that you that for what you show, you show us through her. I pray, I pray that I would one day be as, be, really, really walk before you with that kind of faith that Mary has, of surrender. I want, to be, I want to be as mighty as that teenage girl in you. I want holiness born in me. Father, um, we just bring these things, we bring each other, we, we, we um, help us to understand things better. A lot of us are struggling with a lot of things we're afraid of. And um, we thank you that your grace is greater than our fears. Your grace is greater than our inability to understand. We don't understand all these things. And that your grace is even greater than our, than our powerlessness, how small and insignificant we feel. Thank you for your love. Thanks for sending Gabriel to talk to Mary like that. And thanks for letting us hear about it today. In Jesus' name, amen.